Welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm George. And we welcome you to this program. We're so pleased to have you with us. Uh, we're going to look back on this program to an event that happened in September of 1955 that ended the life of an up-and-coming actor and someone who's become an icon in the American landscape. We're talking, of course, about James Dean, the actor who passed away on September 30th, 1955, as a result of an automobile accident and has become an icon uh, in popular culture. And his motion pictures, he only had three major motion pictures, but he still managed to win the hearts of so many, many people. We're going to talk a little bit about his life, his career, and then we'll look back a little bit at the details about that accident on that evening of September 30th of 1955. But let's start off with you, George. I know you've got some thoughts about uh, uh, James Dean's uh, movie career and some of the highlights of his life. Let's start with you and kind of get a background on, on who James Dean was. Well, my memories and my insights uh, about James Dean come from a uh, unpublished uh, college research paper that I did during my freshman year at the University of Southern California, which occurred on the 20th anniversary of Mr. Dean's uh, untimely demise. And what I learned from doing that research, both on a primary and secondary basis, was this was a man that was multifaceted. He was a, a great athlete. Uh, during his growing up years, uh, you know, in the Midwest. And then he went to, on to New York City. And then he, of course, was part of the method acting uh, that, of course, uh, we associate with Marlon Brando and also with uh, Montgomery Clift. And he was able to follow in their footsteps, but he took it to a different level because he was able to be so relatable to young people, that is specifically teenagers. And it was distinctly different from being relatable to say, and this is not to meant to be pejorative, but to the Mickey Rooney, uh, Andy Hardy series of the 1930s and early 40s. James Dean was, was regarded as a bit more serious uh, during this post-war period of the 1950s. And he seemed to embody the angst uh, that we associate with that period. And he was not only relatable to both young people, but also I remember that my mother and other members of her generation seemed to just gravitate to his uh, magnetism that he had. He was a very charismatic actor. Uh, he had a, a winning smile, uh, and he had a, a very, very sort of a, a, a style that was attractive to both men and women at the same time. That was what I think was so distinctive about him. And as you correctly noted, the body of work, East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause, Giant. The latter two he received Academy Awards for, uh, nominations for, I believe, uh, and two of those films were shown posthumously, and yet he left an indelible mark on the landscape. It's amazing, uh, George, you know, someone who uh, really had a very short career in motion pictures, although I'm aware also that he also did a number of appearances on live television. Uh, that uh, was Schlitz Playhouse. Schlitz one Playhouse of, is one of them, yes. The, un, the Unlighted Road, which mm -hmm. he co-starred with Patricia Hardy, I yes, believe. Yes, right. So he was uh, really an up-and-coming star. Uh, you kind of have to sit back and think, uh, you know, what else would he have done had he have lived? You know, had he have moved on? Had he have lived had a full life and had a full career and uh, it's just one of those things that you just kind of have to ponder you know what uh, exactly what would have happened 
uh, with him in his future. I think what is interesting is that you read about the various accounts from people that knew him uh, and had met him during that period and the profound respect. I read something that surprised me rather recently, and that actually came from... Ronald Reagan, who later became our uh, president, and he himself, having been a a motion picture actor, uh, he had publicly stated the great respect and almost an awe that he felt for James Dean is because of the seriousness of purpose that he brought forth to his craft, that he was always well prepared and that he really wanted to excel at uh, his profession, that he didn't treat it cavalierly as so many did. And perhaps that's probably what made him more attractive to people versus some of his uh, anti-hero predecessors, such as Montgomery Clifton, Marlon Brando, great actors in their own right. But there was something about James Dean, I guess that we would call it the it factor. And he seemed to have it. And for those of you in the listening audience who want to read a definitive biography, there's a lot of great biographies about James Dean. But the one that I would recommend to you is titled James Dean, the Mutant King, written by David Dalton. It was actually published in the mid-70s, and it was largely responsible for really catapulting uh, James Dean into uh, an iconic sphere worldwide uh, 20 years after his passing. You know, it's interesting you were talking a little bit, uh, you alluded to this, George, when you were talking earlier, that he sort of became um, the symbol of what would come later, uh, rebelliousness uh, in this post-war period, rebelliousness, nonconformist, perhaps kind of a hood, hoodlum-type character, which he portrayed in some of these television programs and in the motion pictures. That may be part of the appeal, too, is that he seemed to be the uh, the vanguard of uh, of what was going to come in the future. Very much so. In the movie East of Eden, of course, uh, you know, he found himself as the younger son who had been shunned by his father. But he had goodness in his heart and a sincere desire to want to do good for his family. And in the very end, you know, there is a very touching reconciliation with his father, portrayed by Raymond Massey Massey, and his co-star, Julie Harris. And then, of course, even in Rebel Without a Cause, you actually, if you watch the film... James Dean is not really uh, so much a hood in that he actually stands up to bullies. Uh, there, are, there are some people in there that bully, for example, his, uh, his young friend played by Sal Mineo. And uh, James Dean actually uh, portrays a very positive character in that regard. He's trying to fit in. And I remember Natalie Wood, in her scenes with him, she notes that he's very strong, but he's gentle, he's kind. And he radiates uh, some very positive qualities. The film where I think he had somewhat of a, uh, I don't want to use the word an outlaw type character to him, but anti-establishment or ambivalence probably was giant. His Mm -hmm. last film role, because he, of course, uh, was cast opposite Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor. And he more than held his own uh, in that film. But the character that he portrayed, Jet Rink, he was an oil man, but he was uh, very much what we call the wildcatter. He went against the establishment, kind of did things his own way. And he played it that way on screen uh, vis-a-vis Mr. Hudson and and his co-stars. And I think that that is what people remember. And I think also, uh, you know, in, in competing for some of these roles... He actually uh, found himself head-to-head against Paul Newman, beating him out for the role of East of Eden. Uh, But then Mr. Newman became somewhat of a successor with his iconic films, The Hustler and Cool Hand Luke, Mm -hmm. which I think 
either of those, I think James Dean could have filled the role. Absolutely. Uh, think about Steve McQueen, the king of cool, uh, when he was uh, in his uh, role as the gunman in uh, Magnificent Seven, and then later uh, Bullet as the police officer. I mean, these were, again, he was fighting against the establishment, yet in an establishment context. Uh, he really set the standards of excellence, and yet... He was committed to his craft. One of the things that comes about in, in the biographies that uh, were written about him was how closely he kept trying to improve himself. He would go to acting classes and do all kinds of things, trying to push the boundaries. This was a time in the 50s where there was a subgenre in American uh, film production, George. And as I recall in, in my some of my film school notes... It was a period of a lot of movies that were produced about the bad boy. The anti-hero. And the bad girl. Mm -hmm. And the adolescents struggling with finding themselves and sexuality of teenagers, the taboos. Uh, you do recall that, to me, an American epic film, uh, Blackboard Jungle, Vic Morrow, uh, these were delinquents and they were loose on the street and, and they were threatening and Good fathers had to keep their daughters protected from these guys. Along comes James Dean and uh, some of his cohorts in the movie Rebel Without a Cause, which just nailed it. It just it was a dartboard for everything that was about to go wrong in America as far as how how traditional Americans related to their children who were learning something called rock and roll music. Uh the movies started have a little more edginess, a, a lot more sexuality. Some of those uh, situations in Rebel Without a Cause today, of course, would be very tame. But back in 1955, they'd be extremely controversial and or questionable. And even some of the cliches used in the movie are still used to this day. No one up here but us chickens. Remember that line? Of course, of course. <laughs> And the game of uh, playing chicken. Playing chicken, exactly, with the cars. With the, the cars, and, and Natalie Wood, you know, where just her persona in that picture. And I remember, that, well, of course, there was Blackboard Jungle, Vic Morrow. There were some bad boys, Dennis Hopper. Yes, We can he, talk about Dennis Hopper, Sal Minio. And they were both co-stars with James Dean in both um, Giant and... And also yes. Rebel Without a Cause. Both of them were. They were also good friends of his. So here are these new upcomer, these kind of punk kids, kind of brooding, moody guys, James Dean. The term that would be used today is called bipolar because on accounts of his own close friends, they'd say he'd be up sky high one minute and crash and burn five minutes later and nobody knew why. And he would brood. And But his background, I think, equipped him to play the role that he played so well in that movie because... He was born in Indiana, and his father was a farmer, and he had a dream of coming out, and I believe being a dentist or some type of medical professional, they moved out to Santa Monica, where shortly after his mother passed away from cancer, and his father shipped his mother's body along with little James back to Indiana, where he spent his years growing up in the family of, of Quakers, who owned a, a large farm in Indiana, so... James Dean was more of a hick, more of a redneck than he was this cool, California cool, brooding, uh, L.A.-type delinquent. He was actually a farm boy who played basketball, wore thick glasses, and, and rolled his own cigarettes. 
And but yeah, interesting how they could turn that persona into a guy, and, and he was a little guy too. He was a little scrawny, little skinny dude, and uh, he became the heartthrob of America's younger females, and he also became the the arch villain of establishment suburbia America. Don't you agree, George? I do agree. I was going to share with you two personal memories that come to mind. One was that in 1975, the year that I referenced uh, when I uh, was writing the paper then doing the research that uh, KHJ-TV 9 in Los Angeles was broadcasting the James Dean movies in a, in a celebration for the 20th anniversary of his passing. And I remember one of those evenings conflicted with Happy Days. And I had a very dear friend of mine who listens to this program, and she said, well, tonight Fonzie gets glasses. And I said, listen, I says, skip the Fonz. <laughs> I want you to see the real deal. James Dean was the inspiration for Fonzie. Fonzie's just, I'm sorry to say, Happy Days fans, a pale imitation. James Dean was the real thing. Now, we have uh, a family friend of ours who grew up and is from Texas. She met James Dean in Del Rio, Texas in September of 1955, a couple of weeks before the actor's untimely demise. He was just wrapping up the film Giant. And... Uh, they were sitting in the stands there at a bullfight uh, there in Del Rio, Texas. And our friend Gloria recounts that he was there, you know, with the open shirt and the jeans and cowboy boots and uh, with the, the cowboy hat. And she said he really exemplified Texas. That just showed his acting skill that we associate him, obviously, with the rebellious youth in Rebel Without a Cause but and and being a city boy, but she said he personified Texas. He personified Texas in a very positive way, and he was very charismatic, very engaging, almost shy. Mm-hmm. And she said that she found it very attractive. And I says, well, gosh, I says you should have gone off with him there. It would have been fun. <laughs> the other thing that comes to mind, and Gilbert, uh, you and I had discussed this, is that she noted that he seemed in a cosmetic state of old age. And in fact, I noted that uh, when he was wrapping up Giant, of course, Giant spans like, uh, you know, a 40-year period that he actually, in the, in the final scenes of the film, he's, uh, you know, much, much older, in his 70s. And so he was made up to look that way. And ironically, uh, when he passed away several weeks later in the automobile accident, he was already in a cosmetic state of, of old age, which seems almost haunting in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. So here is this person that was charismatic, that was attractive to men and women, I mean, uh, of, of all ages and persuasions. He seemed to be able to fit whatever situation he was in. So if he was in New York, he was a New Yorker when he grew up in the Midwest. He was an Indiana farm boy when he was in Los Angeles. He was hip. He was cool. When he was in Texas... He was uh, obviously the cowboy. Sure, he could fit in wherever he he was, you know. And and I think we remember him for these roles that were uh, portraying, uh, you know, a rebellious youth. Uh, you know, some of his television appearances were that way, sort of a disaffected type of a youth that uh, you know again would would mirror some of the future stuff that was going to be coming up. But uh, James Dean, apart from his uh, his acting career, developed a very big interest in race cars and racing. He enjoyed racing, and it was in April of 1954 that he uh, bought his first automobile for racing of Triumph Tiger that he raced, and he participated in a number of of races uh, here and there. The studios were a little bit uh, not wanting him to do that because they were trying to protect him because he was very um, 
important actor in some of these big motion pictures. As a matter of fact, when they were filming Giant, Warner Brothers barred James Dean from doing any racing at all. They wanted him to wait. They said, "You're going to, you know, you're going to wait before you resume any of this, of these uh, races." So it, it was that he purchased his uh, 1955 Porsche Spider that. Uh, it was a silver-colored, uh, I think it was aluminum, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. had an aluminum body to it that he purchased. And it was, uh, uh, he departed Los Angeles with his mechanic and with several other friends driving in another vehicle on September 30th to drive up to um, Salinas. And the reason that he drove the Spider uh, was because he needed to put more, more time in it. It needed to be broken in, and he also needed to have a certain amount of mileage that needed mm-hmm. to be on the odometer for him to be able to qualify for this race. And so they stopped off uh, uh, at one point or later on in the afternoon uh, for uh, refreshments, and they kept traveling upward. When they were nearing Paso Robles at approximately 545 in the afternoon on September 30th, 1955, uh, he was involved in an automobile accident with a 1950 Ford that was being driven by a man by the name of Donald Turnipseed, who was a uh, Cal Poly student. And what happened was uh, Mr. Turnipseed uh, made a left turn onto uh, Route 41, headed north toward Fresno. Apparently, because of the time of the day, it was late September, uh, the sun was setting, and the car was very, very low to the ground, he did not see James Dean approaching. And James Dean, uh, there's been some speculation that he might have been traveling a little bit fast, uh, there's different reports that uh, some say that he was doing the limit, others say that he was going a little fast, but they collided in an almost uh, head-on collision. The uh, person who was accompanying him, his uh, mechanic, was actually thrown from the vehicle. James Dean was severely injured, uh, suffered a broken neck, suffered massive internal injuries and uh, external injuries as well. There were some bystanders who came by to to help a woman who was a nurse uh, came by and was Mm -hmm. attending to James Dean, and she detected that he had a very weak pulse. Well, he was uh, transferred by ambulance to Paso Robles, where he was pronounced dead. He passed away at the age of 24, I believe, right, George? 24 24 years old. He was just 24. Uh, Mr. Turnipseed was not held uh, liable for anything simply because of the circumstances involved. Uh, Again, they determined that the speed... Uh, was a factor the fact that the car the the Porsche Spider sat so low to the ground, the time of the day, the angle of the sun, just a lot of different things that that happened, and so uh, he uh, passed away on that thirtieth of September of nineteen fifty five, and became a a cultural icon. George and Mike, I was going to mention, you know, the, when you go to uh, to Hollywood, you know, and you see all the souvenir shops, and you see all the, you always see either a picture or caricatures of Marilyn Monroe. And James Dean, yes. and perhaps Humphrey Bogart as well, yes. and that's the iconic Hollywood image: Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, Humphrey Bogart. And then I think also there was a um, a song about that that was sung by Ricky Nelson called "Lonesome Town." You know, but you know, talking about broken dreams. And I remember someone uh, was an artist that was inspired by that song, yeah. and he had. Uh, I think he was inspired. He actually put them together. I think it was it was James Dean, uh-huh. Marilyn Monroe, and Bogart sitting together. In a, That's uh, right, in a diner or in something, a diner right? There, yeah, because yeah. Uh, of, of of that association, you know, that all passed away at a relatively young age, 
and it's uh, it's tragic. Mike, I was going to ask you, do I recall correctly that the wreckage of that car was actually displayed in Los Angeles uh, afterwards? That seems to be something that my parents, who had just moved here from Texas not long uh, not long before, they seem to recall that uh, the car was actually shown. My uncle Doc Malone, Gus Malone Jr., operated, he was the manager of the tow truck company that towed the vehicle. He tells me, and he's been gone now for almost 30 years, but we had a discussion one time at a family event. The car was demolished. It was basically cut in half, and it was towed to the tow yard in Salinas, which is the headquarters for where the tow truck company was. And they had, nowadays they call it the paparazzi or whatnot, and they had to put a chain-link fence up because people were coming and taking parts taking pieces of the car apart. So it was actually, according to my Uncle Doc, the James Dean Speedster, the Porsche, was actually put into a large truck. And it was sealed for almost a year because it was actually evidence. The Highway Patrol kept it in storage as evidence. Then it was taken, and it was actually taken to Griffith Park Museum, the train museum. Oh, Travel Town. Travel Town, where it was put on display on a flatbed truck. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So and I don't know. I can't verify this other than what my uncle said, but uh, I've got pictures of my uncle with his tow truck, but the, I asked him once, and this again, this was close to 40 years ago if he had photos of the wreckage. He said photos existed. A lot of people had seen the accident. There, It was a busy roadway, and a lot of people stopped. There was actually a nurse, a registered nurse in one of the other cars who pulled over, and the the mechanic from Germany, from Porsche, he was catapulted over. I believe he survived. He did survive, yes. But uh, James Dean himself, he was actually impaled on the steering wheel, and he, his neck was crushed. Uh, there was a pulse at the scene of the crash, but he had died before the ambulance got there. But there were people who stopped. And unlike today, where everybody's got a camera phone, uh, very few people had their Kodak Brownie. But there is a photo, and I saw it, and it's it's actually... It's offensive and disgusting that someone had to... I saw it at a gun show. There were prints made of it maybe 20 years ago, and it showed the body before they covered it, the mangled body of James Dean there next to a fence post, a fence line. But uh, there are people that... It's almost like Valentino. There are people who have shrines. Yes. And they make a pilgrimage to the... He's buried, I believe, in Fairmount, Indiana, correct? Yes, and I think that people have taken portions of the gravestone. But they make pilgrimages out there on every year. So this being a a keynote year, there's probably a group of I'm sure that there will be, yeah. yeah, There will be a... But, you know, before before leaving this subject, let's talk, because this is one thing I really admire about my partner here, Smitty. Uh, He's familiar with all of the... All of the unique and all of the boutique shows that were put out by the uh, three major networks in the 50s. And it wouldn't be fair to do a story on James Dean without mentioning some of the shows that he also appeared on. Yeah, he was in three movies to speak of, but he was also in a number of other movies as a bit player. But he was in a tremendous number of uh, television shows starting in 51 with Family Theater. Uh, He was on the Stu Irwin show. He Mm -hmm. was a kid. uh, He was a neighbor of Stu Irwin's uh, CBS Television Workshop, the Hallmark Hall of Fame. Craft TV Theater, which Smitty will talk about quite a bit. Craft Television Theater, uh, Lux. He was in some sit, uh, situation dramas, uh, Treasury Men in Action, 
and he was actually, and we spoke about this before, uh, Smitty and I on a previous show, uh, a show called You Are There. Yes. And he was Bob Ford. He was the coward Bob Ford in the Capture of Jesse James episode. Yeah, Studio One, Lux Video Theater, Robert Montgomery Presents, Danger, General Electric Theater. I mean, just his his television work was actually very extensive. And he uh, should also be remembered for his television work apart from his motion pictures, Um, you know, as as we sit here and we remember him. But uh, certainly uh, he became... uh, an icon. He is an icon to this day and uh, very well remembered. There's a motion picture that I'd like to recommend to those of you who are listening who uh, uh, perhaps may want to um, to watch this motion picture. The motion picture is simply called September 30th, 1955. That is the title of the motion picture. And it stars Richard Thomas, who we all remember as John Boy from the Waltons. It stars Thomas Hulse, who was a uh, a character in the uh, funny uh, Animal House motion pictures. And, of course, Dennis Quaid is also in the motion picture. It tells the story of uh, a young man, uh, Richard Thomas, who is uh, basically infatuated with James Dean and his reaction and the reaction of his friends in the day day or day or two immediately following the death of James Dean. Very well done. George has seen it. I've seen it. I don't know. Have you Have you seen that, Mike? I have, yes. It's a wonderful motion picture, and we certainly uh, advise any of you who have any interest in that to uh, to see it. And let's not forget his famous National Safety Council, how ironic that yes, was. Yes, very. The life you save may be mine. mine. Exactly. And it was a, it was about speeding or drunk driving, one or the other. Yeah. That's a little bit of irony. And don't forget uh, also that uh, you know those of you who, who watch our, uh, our webpage, George is going to have an upcoming blog page on James Dean. So make sure that you uh, check that out because you'll have a column on that coming up on our uh, webpage. So we want to remember James Dean, who uh, passed away 60 years ago and... Uh, he uh, is very well remembered to this day, still an icon, born on the 8th of February, 1931, and passed away on the 30th of September, 1955. Before we leave you on our program today, we did want to make uh, a quick mention. We are, once again, our contenders for awards with the San Diego Press Club. Uh, those of you who are longtime listeners will recall the last couple of years we've submitted programs and we've been gratified to receive awards. We have submitted four programs this year for their consideration, and the ones that we've submitted are the our look back at the Apollo 11 uh, 45th anniversary, our recent look back at the Twilight Zone, our program where we talked about Gumby, and our interview with Chuck Cooper, a former San Diego radio personality. So we will keep you posted. We're hoping that we, uh, once again, are... Uh, privilege to receive recognition and uh, we'll certainly let you know what the results are after October when the uh, results are announced. Well, that's all the time we have on our program this time. We want to thank you for joining us as we look back to the life of James Dean. We uh, want to hear from you if you have any memories or thoughts or any James Dean movies or TV shows that you like, that you consider your favorite, drop us a note. Our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightsite at gmail.com, galaxymoonbeamnightsite at gmail.com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightsite. Our shows are available on Mixcloud and on iTunes, and uh, we certainly hope that you'll pop in and visit our website. Again, George Halalakos posts a wonderful blog there each and every month, and we, we certainly invite you to join in and read what he has to say and, of course, uh, 
keep an eye out on us as we bring you more episodes of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. That's all the time we have. We thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm George. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.